Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. The Large Nerdron Collider podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Large Nerdron Collider podcast, the podcast that's all about the geeky things happening in the world around us and how very excited we are about them. I'm Ariel Kasten, and with me, as always, though not on our usual day, is Jonathan Strickland. I have to catch them all. You do. So that's a little that's a little peek into later on because uh, <laughs> po- Pokemon are in our mashup. But uh, we also feel that way about the news stories this week. There's a ton of them. And that's saying something. We're recording this on Monday uh, because of reasons. And uh, so... Yeah, we normally record on Tuesday nights. So we're recording on yeah. Monday afternoon which means that by the time this episode goes out on Thursday, there will be more news. But yeah, we've reached a a point where news is hitting like crazy levels. So we once again have two segments of news to bring to you, dear listeners. But before we get to any of that, Ariel, Mm -hmm. I have a question for you. Okay, here is your question, Ariel. What weapon in fantasy or science fiction, would you most want to get hold of? Great axe. So not a, <laughs> not a specific weapon, just a great axe. Yes, because that could just, just that's like an actual weapon that you could get. I'm like saying like a fantasy <laughs> or science fiction weapon, like something that yeah. does not really exist. You, ju- you didn't say doesn't really exist. You just said any weapon, and like okay, so I 
I LARPed for a while. My favorite LARP character ever was uh, a barbarian, and I had this giant boffer great axe that I called your mom. And uh, <laughs> it was a bad joke that just never went away. Um, and it was my favorite thing ever to swing around. So I'd like a real great axe. Okay, but if it were an uh, imaginary... Yeah, like something that's actually... I mean, okay, great axe is the your go-to weapon in the real world. Yes. But yeah, any, <laughs> any sort of fantasy or science fiction weapon that does not necessarily actually exist. Um... You know, I'd say the sword and the stone, not because I want to be the king of England, but because I want to have the bragging rights. What about you? Okay, I'm not going to lie. My choice was Excalibur. So very similar because the sword and the stone and Excalibur are not always the same sword. It all depends on which mm -hmm. Arthurian legend you're looking at. Uh, Excalibur sometimes is the one that is uh, given by the lady in the lake to Arthur. Uh, and the sword in the stone is a different sword. And that's the one who, whomever shall hold, pull this sword from this stone shall be king of all England. So, mm -hmm. but it is funny because I literally was like Excalibur. And then you said that I went, well, I guess we're Fine. on the same page. No, it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. It just, I worry about our mashup now. <laughs> like I said, I don't, well, truth. I don't want to fight you to be the king of England. So I will just go to my backup imaginary weapon since a great axe wasn't good enough. And you've already claimed Excalibur. And I'll just say, I want Mew Mew. I want okay. Thor's hammer. Okay, that's fair. All right. Mjolnir. I mean, you, Mjolnir, I know. You might, but see, that's the thing is that if you're not worthy, then you just have a, immovable paperweight. Look, if I'm giving up the sword and the stone, that means I am worthy to carry Mjolnir. I think it'd be hilarious if you had the sword and the stone, but you're not actually king of England, so you just literally have a big rock with a sword sticking out of it. <laughs> <laughs> and, I've got I mean, a, and I've got a wet woman holding a weapon. <laughs> yes, yes. But, but, you know, here's the thing. If I can carry Mjolnir, then I can also probably pick up the stone on top of the sword if I can't pull it out and just whack people with that. Like, see, when I was first novel. coming up, it's not when I was first coming up with the idea for questions for this show, this is exactly the kind of conversation I was hoping we would have because it's the sort of thing, the geeky conversations that kids have with each other, <laughs> and then they have to find ways mm -hmm. to one up one another. But we do need to get to the news. And our first story is a serious one. This is this is not like a super happy fun story but rather that you may have heard that the International Alliance of Theater Stage Employees, a.k.a. IATSE, not IATSE, but IATSE, uh, that they are contemplating, they're going to take a vote on a potential union strike. Now, this particular group, it, it consists of a lot of people who work behind the scenes on mm -hmm. stuff like the various series and movies you find on things like streaming services. Yeah, so they're the people who do like the electrical and the set building and and costumes and props and and a lot of the back end behind the scenes stuff. And their complaints are that the streaming services typically are sidestepping regulations that would usually uh, be in place for things like your standard TV series and your standard films. Mm -hmm. For example, one of the big ones is that you might find that you have a late night shoot on a Friday night and then you have a, a morning call on uh, Saturday 
and you have, you know, you're spending like a couple of hours at home and you're getting all this extra time put in and it's just working you to exhaustion where you're falling over because you're, you're being worked to death and there's no real protection there. So that's what the union, the union meeting about voting for a strike is all about, about whether or Mm -hmm. not enough people support a strike to demand more protections. And, and right now, a, a lot of a lot of the other unions do. So SAG-AFTRA is usually for actors, um, and mm-hmm. they support it. Uh, Fran Drescher is currently the head of that. If you don't know who she is, she played the nanny on The Nanny. Um, yes. But, uh, you know, so actors tend to get, like, a, a set day that's kind of a healthier work day and then paid overtime. And IATSE doesn't have that for streaming services. They're under a new media contract, which... At the time that I think those, I, you know, I'm not an expert on this. At the time the contracts were written up, Netflix and all that were kind of all new and, and testing the waters. But now they're like, they're winning primetime Emmys. They are big competitors for mainstream television. So it's kind of time to update those contracts and, and those working conditions. Exactly. Ariel pointed out very rightly before we started recording that, you know, these are these are services that are getting... Uh, consideration in their winning awards that put them in the same category as these established old media companies. And they kind of want to have it both ways. They want to get the consideration and the prestige of the old media companies, but they kind of want to work in that fast and loose way where they don't have to follow the same rules. Uh And that's what the guild is specifically kind of protesting. We'll have to wait and see if they actually vote on a strike. If they do, that will mean that things that are currently in production will be on hold until that can get resolved. Now deadline did have an article saying like things like HBO primetime movies and, and commercials and stuff that do not fall under some of those more loose and fast rules that are set to the higher standards won't fall under that. I don't know how reputable deadline is. I personally hope that they get their demands. One, you know, I'm an actor. If a strike needs to happen and productions need to shut down so that people can have good working conditions, I'm fine with it. But of course, I'd always rather have the op- the ability to work. I want everybody else to get fair treatment, so I'm for it. But also, I don't want my electrical... Uh, professional to be who's hanging all the big heavy lights for a film set to be exhausted and sleep deprived. <laughs> yeah. A big light falling on my head. Well, yeah. And I mean, like, honestly, you just don't want anyone to be exploited mm-hmm. and, and, and treated poorly. So we wanted to lead with that because that is something that could have a potential big impact on things like release dates and planned mm-hmm. Uh, sequels and stuff like we haven't been recording since the days of old when there was like the big writer strike where yeah. entire seasons of shows were cut short. But this is similar, except, of course, instead of writers, we're talking about, you know, the behind the scenes crews of these things. So we'll find out on Friday whether or not they vote to strike. And then moving forward, we'll learn what the uh, results are like. These are these are big decisions, too. I don't mm-hmm. want to I don't want to minimize that, like for any individual to make the decision to support a strike is a big deal. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I am 100% behind all those folks. I mean, and everything's a big deal. Productions are expensive. So I get that there's back and forth. That being said, since we're talking about new media, Netflix has announced a bunch of stuff that's coming out. Uh, I guess we'll see if it's in a place where it can be released or whether it's (laughs) 
still in production for a lot of it. Two of notable note to Jonathan and I, that's a good sentence, are uh, Cowboy Bebop and Sandman. Yeah, we watched the opening credits for Cowboy Bebop, which has a very, the opening credits have like a very kind of 1960s, 1970s spy movie Mm -hmm. vibe to them, complete with like the jazzy music intro. Uh, Really, really creative. I like it a lot. And then the Sandman teaser is just, uh, you've got this collection of people who are attempting to summon death, uh, but they accidentally summon her brother, Dream. Dream. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it looks like it's a very quick look, but it's based off Neil Gaiman's Sandman uh, comic book series that was uh, critically acclaimed. Um, I read some of it, but I didn't read the whole series. I I haven't read a lot of Sandman. I have looked at a lot of the artwork, and Dream is spot on. So, like, killer cheekbones. Killer cheekbones. And I will say, so Cowboy Bebop, I like, I haven't watched it in a long time, so I'd have to really refresh my brain on the story. But it it feels very Cowboy Bebop-y to me. And I like, uh, my husband shared an article with me where they're like, it's so hard to match the amazingness of the opening, of the theme song for the cartoon Cowboy Bebop, which is Tank. So they didn't try to come up with something new. They used the same song as from the cartoon. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, both of those are, you know, connected to Netflix, Mm -hmm. both Sandman and Cowboy Bebop are Netflix exclusives. And we also have another little thing about Netflix and by little, I mean, pretty big that the company actually acquired the Roald Dahl story company, a Roald Dahl Mm -hmm. being the author of books like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and Charlie and the Glass Elevator and uh, uh, Matilda, James and the Giant Peach, James and the Giant yeah. Peach, yeah, uh, witches. I think he did the witches. I believe uh, maybe um, maybe the the big friendly giant. Yeah, so he he wrote tons of stuff, uh, and now Netflix has acquired that company, which means they will be able to make all sorts of different adaptations should they mm-hmm. wish, which may mean that we'll get yet another, you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, adaptation, although Very, I, I I would argue that the the perfect well, one came out in 1971. We we already know that we're getting a, a prequel about Willy Wonka, so which we do not need, but okay. Yeah, but it, you know we also know because they shut down production a little while ago when the Delta variant started back up that they're working on Matilda as well, um, Matilda the musical, uh, which. Uh, you know we'll see. I I we've known for a while that Netflix was going to do some stuff with Roald Dahl, but I did not think they were going to get the entire series of his stories. Do you happen to know who it was that wrote the music for Matilda the Musical? Uh, It's Tim Minchin. I was about to say, I was like, I was like, Alan Menken. No, that's not right. Tim Minchin. Yes. Yes. Brilliant, brilliant Australian comedian and musician. Uh, And the music for Matilda is wonderful. Like, I, I still haven't seen the show. I have never read the book. I didn't see the film adaptation of Matilda, but I've heard some of the songs and I, and they're very charming. He's, he is an incredible gifted musician and creator. Look, he got me on board with a Groundhog Day musical. So I also didn't know that he did that until I watched an interview where he mentioned it. And I thought, (laughs) 
Oh, I I completely dismissed Groundhog Day, the musical. Oh, it's and brilliant. When I heard that, I thought, uh-oh, I am a poo-poo head and I need to listen to that music. I will say, I say it's brilliant. I haven't watched Groundhog Day, the musical either. Unfortunately, it's not touring. It won't tour. But I have listened to the soundtrack and I've watched some performances like taped either on stage or for promos from it. And it's, yeah, it's fantastic. So... Well, we have one last little thing we want to say in the segment before we go to break, and that is we have a release date for a new season of a science fiction show that Ariel likes. Yes, The Orville on March 10th, 2022. I was excited about it because I like goofy space comedies, uh, and then it ended up being fairly sincere. Um, Yeah, The Orville completely took me by surprise. I know I've talked about it before. I really like it. I'm so glad that we know when it's coming back. I can't. They left the second season with some pretty like dramatic stuff. So I'm very much looking forward to what they do in a season three. And this one is going to go to Hulu, uh, whereas the previous seasons had been on um, Fox, I believe. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it's interesting because the article we have says, you know, since that Disney now owns Fox, they decided to put uh, Oroville on the streaming service they own. I'm like, oh, you mean the other streaming service <laughs> they own? Because Disney, of course, or- owns Disney Plus. So. Yeah, Oroville cannot go on Disney Plus. It just can't. Um, I mean, I don't know. There's some stuff on Disney Plus that is not for kids. Yeah, but this is Seth MacFarlane. You can't, like... <laughs> okay, I, I mean, that's fair. There's well, definitely I- Seth MacFarlane, at least in the first half of the first season and throughout the rest of the season here and there. It's not as prevalent as like a Family Guy episode, but there's definitely some Seth MacFarlane humor spattered throughout. Yeah, and, when, and that was the reason why I didn't get on board with the Orville originally because I was thinking like, oh, this is just going to be an unfunny send up of Star Trek. And then people that I respect, like Ariel and folks that I don't know, but I respect them (laughs) because I like their work, ended up saying, you know, the Orville is more feels like it's more in the spirit of Star Trek than some of the more recent Star Trek series have. Mm -hmm. Not for me to I I haven't watched the new Star Trek series either uh, because I kept feeling like, oh, this feels like it's I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying it doesn't feel like Star Trek to me, so I don't really want to watch it. Um, But everyone kept on saying, yeah, the Orville feels kind of more like in the spirit of like Star Trek, the next generation. Yeah, they do. They do some really cool stuff. And I would agree with that. Um, I will say, having watched all of Discovery that is out currently, I do actually like it more than I thought I would in season one. It feels like Star Trek Voyager-ish. I mean, it's it's definitely got a little bit more grit to it, but it also has a lot of feel good. Well, we've got some more you know news to cover, including some feel good news. But before we get to that, we're going to take a quick break. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. 
You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Okay, we're back. Now, Ariel, I got a question for you, and this is not, we don't need to play the, we don't need to play the music. Okay. That's not, this. that's not, the, that's not the kind of question. And, How about, and this, you got a question. You got a question. No, no, okay. no, it's fine. Uh, this is a sincere one because I am, I am unfamiliar with uh, a lot of the showrunners for Doctor Who. And so, like, I can't keep straight which ones the general fandom typically likes and which ones the general fandom blames everything on. I know that there is that that happens. Yes. But we have heard that Russell T. Davies is coming back to the Doctor Mm -hmm. Who series to run the show. So can you tell me more about who he is and what that means, like, at least in regard with Doctor Who? So Russell T. Davies uh, is was the showrunner for Doctor Nine and Doctor Ten, who were the the first Doctors. They were uh, Christopher Eccleston and um, David, David Tennant. Tennant. Yeah. So when the show decided to come back after many years of being off the air with new Doctors, he was the showrunner for that. Okay. Um, and then when he he left, uh, Stephen Moffat took over for the 11th doctor who was Matt Smith. And then uh, uh, I think I'm missing somebody, but uh, Chris Chibnall took over for Jodie Whittaker. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing is all of these people like Moffat wrote episodes while Russell T Davies was a showrunner, you know, Chibnall wrote episodes while other people were showrunners. So they've all worked together, but it's kind of who it's, who's at the helm. And I feel like, I feel like people who, um, People who are super, like, divisive over which doctor is good and which doctor isn't are also divisive over the writers. But 
honestly, they've all written some really amazing episodes and they've all written some pretty crappy episodes. Mm. Um, you know, there's, Doctor Who is one of those shows, as much as I love it, where it's very inconsistent in the quality of the storylines from week to week. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so if you've heard of Bad Wolf, Russell T. Davies was a part of that entire arc through the ninth and 10th Doctor, which honestly wasn't my favorite arc, but, you know, there were a lot of, you know, he was the showrunner during The Empty Child and The Doctor Dances. And um, yeah, I, I the, for the Bad Wolf thing, I remember watching because I did watch all the way through that uh, particular arc. And I remember thinking that when it was resolved, I thought, wow, I thought this was building up to something more interesting than what happened. Mm-hmm. Like, I felt like it was one of those things where people start setting something up before really knowing how they're going to pay it off. And then when they finally get to the point where they need to pay it off, they're just kind of like trying to do it. And I could be totally wrong. That might not be anything close to what actually happened. But um, yeah, I think it's Moffat that I I typically hear the most divisive commentary Mm -hmm. about. But again, this is from someone who's coming from outside because I'm I am I am not a devoted Doctor Who fan. Again, under his under his showrunnership, there were some amazing episodes, and there are a lot of like crappy episodes. But that, I, I feel that way about every Doctor Who series, including the old ones. So, um, I'm excited because again, Russell T. Davies was part of the team that made Doctor Who popular again. So, yeah, hopefully for for this, uh, it's Doctor Who's 60th anniversaries when he's coming back on in 2023 60 years of doctor who that's incredible right i'm very excited and there's always these discussions about whether or not doctor who will continue after like the current doctor and you know whether or not there are plans to keep it going and uh, i suspect that as long as there are people who want to tell the stories that we will continue to see Mm -hmm. some incarnation of doctor who unless they just completely well, squander the goodwill of, of Doctor Who fans. They're going to have to come in with a new Doctor because Jodie Whittaker has announced that she's leaving after next year's specials, along with Chris Chibnall, which is Davies, uh, Davies is taking back over. Yeah. So I keep on hearing about how actors love the experience of becoming the Doctor and they love the experience of leaving the show. But David Tennant <laughs> said the biggest lie he ever told was, I don't want to go. <laughs> You know, I've heard it both ways. Like, I'm sure that that's a very mixed bag. You know, when I get done with a a stage play, I'm tired. It takes a lot of work. And especially on from from what I've heard, and maybe this isn't true anymore. A lot of BBC BBC sets at least used to be practical effects. So you're doing a lot of running around. Yeah. Um, You know, that's very, very like physically intensive work. So I can imagine at least wanting a break. Well, one show that got a long break <laughs> was Night Court. Yes. yes. <laughs> Night Court, the the sitcom, almost like it was. I, I showed a clip of this to our friend Shay, who had uh-huh. never she didn't know what Night Court was. <laughs> I was like, I mean, she's she is a youngin. Yeah. And I said, I said, you've watched Red Letter Media videos. You know, Mr. Plinkett is obsessed with Night Court. He has a <laughs> Night Court tape he wants to watch. Uh, she's like, yeah, I didn't know what that was. I thought it was a movie. I'm like, no, it was a TV series. Harry Anderson played Judge Harry T. Stone. John Larroquette was Dan Fielding. Marquis Post was Christine Sullivan. Uh, sadly, we've lost two of those three since yeah. then. Uh, but now we hear that there's going, or at least in development, there is a reboot of Night Court. 
and that on top of that, uh, John Larroquette is attached to both be a producer and to appear in it. And um, Melissa Rauch, who was in Big Bang Theory, is slated to also be on the producing side and to play the part of Harold T. Stone's daughter, who is now a judge at Night Court. So she'll she'll be the main character. Uh, if you don't know who she was on Big Bang Theory, she was Bernadette. She had the glasses and the high voice. She kind of sounded like Audrey from Little yeah, Shop of Horrors a little Horrors, bit. Yeah. Oh, she's a she's a great actress. She's got really good comedic chops, um, but she can also be you know do it in a way that is believable. You know, you may not know that from Big Bang Theory, but uh, <laughs> like. Not not to diss her her um, performance on that. I thought she did quite well on that show, but yeah, she's she's really good at at balancing comedy and and sincerity. So I look forward to this very much. They better bring Moose back. <laughs> Richard Mole, who played Bull, not Moose. Bull, Bull. sorry, Bull Rook. Buchanan. <laughs> Bull and Moose. No, yeah. uh, that's Squirrel and Moose. But yes. no, he played Bull. I don't know why I keep thinking Moose. I mean, like when I think Moose, I think of you can't do that on television, which that's is true. really dating me. But yeah, no, they Bull, better Bull bring Bull the, back. He was the bailiff. Uh, Richard Mole played the bailiff Bull. And uh, he, who's who's a very so sweet, very dim character. The, the thing about Night Court is that the longer it went, the weirder it got where mm-hmm. like a, a typical episode might have sort of an ongoing plot for the actual individual episode, but it's broken up by all these court sessions. And uh, the whole joke about Night Court is that that's when the weirdos are brought before mm-hmm. a judge. And so like Brent Spiner, before he was Data, played a, a recurring character of this country bumpkin and his family that always had the worst things happen to him. Like, <laughs> hello, your honor. It's us. And so hopefully Brent Spiner will be able to come back and reprise his role. <laughs> but but um, yeah, very weird. Uh, Cause this is one of those shows that I never expected to see come back. Also, I'm Mm-mm. curious to see if they will kind of pick up that sense of absurdity that the show had. Cause it, I don't know if it would fit now. I'm part of me thinks like, yeah. well, Gen Z might really attach to it because they really like absurd humor. And part of me is like, I don't, is that going to fly or is that just going to sink? I was about to say the same thing. I had, I just watched a, an episode of night court the other day, half watched. I was putting away laundry, so I didn't give it my full attention, but um, I, yeah, I don't know if that kind of humor holds up. I don't know how the old series holds up. I mean, it's definitely dated. There's a lot of references to the time it came out, um, but it's one of those shows that if you had asked me, would you like a show like this? I would have said no. And then I absolutely loved it. Even, even like even not fully understanding all of the content at the time that it was on. I, it, I had a lot of fun with it. Maybe that's why I like Bull the best is because he was kind of. Yeah. Right. He's um, very cartoony and it's a very corny show, but as you were alluding mm-hmm. to, there's also like the character of, of Dan Fielding played by John Larroquette is a lecherous uh, money obsessed prosecutor who almost all of his jokes have to do with him wanting to go to bed with some woman in the episode. So yeah, mm-hmm. like it, uh, one wonders if his character will have a, uh, a reckoning because it is a very different time now. It is a very different time now. Fun fact. I had a friend who was creating his own tabletop RPG 
And you were able to pick, like, we are building our own skills. And so I had a skill that was knowledge night court. Um, <laughs> like you just had a, 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 an expansive encyclopedic knowledge of night court? Yes. Yes. And him being the awesome DM that he was, and it ended up being a heist where we're stealing some item. I don't even remember what it was. But my knowledge night court allowed us to call upon Bull to help us with the heist, who was working as a security guard after his time on the show ended. It was brilliant. Very odd. Well, you know what, Just like the show. <laughs> you know what else is very odd? The, what, be the beloved science fiction film that you absolutely love, Fly of the Navigator. It's getting you a reboot. Love it. I'm so happy. Um, I, actually, this one is one that it, it semi holds up for me. Um, rewatching it. Some of the effects are definitely not there. Some of them I'm like, okay, cool. I can still get behind this. Um, yeah, it's about this 12 year old boy who, uh, disappears for eight years. And when he comes back, he's the same age because he ends up being the navigator of an alien spaceship. Yeah. Um, uh, and the fact that the alien spaceship was traveling at essentially the, the speed of light meant that he was aging more slowly than people back on earth. And so he was taken to be uh, studied, I guess, and then returned. Mm -hmm. But by the time he's returned, eight years have passed for everybody else, and he has not aged. Uh, and he befriends his spaceship. Yeah, so I don't know. Like, uh, recently a, a local casting director posted about this movie, and it got me to thinking about how it's kind of actually very dark. Like, if you're, it's scary. If you're a 12-year-old kid and you come back, you know, eight years later, the same age and all of your family has grown up and now everybody wants to like do all these tests on you and you can't go home. Like it's actually kind of a scary movie. It, it but, also, it also makes me think about how, except for certain little glimpses we've seen in some of the series, the MCU really kind of tried to dodge the bullet of having to deal with the consequences of the blip where mm -hmm. half of the universe's, population returns after being gone for five years. It's not quite the same thing, but it's a similar like issue. Yeah. 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 I mean, they, they try to, they try to address it a little bit, but in small spits and starts because they don't want their whole movie to be about that. Um, I'm excited about this. Bryce Dallas Howard is directing it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you don't, she's Ron Howard's daughter. She's, she's a great actress. I think she was in Jurassic world. She's also a great uh, director. She's done yeah. quite a few movies already. One of my favorite episodes of The Mandalorian. So, mm -hmm. um, I am I am very much excited about this. It it like it's one of the first movies I remember, like sci-fi movies I remember liking independently as a child. Um, I I wanted to be a navigator and have a cool ship and make all these little alien friends on my ship and. I'm very yeah, excited about this. I, I, I just want to know if Paul Rubens, a.k.a. Pee Wee Herman, will be back because he provided the voice of the the spaceship robot. If if What If has taught me anything, it's that you can replace any actor with any other voice actor and they will sound the same. Like half of that What If cast, I ha every episode I watch and I go, is that the actual actor? Is that somebody else? And half the time it's somebody else and they sound I, exactly I can tell the you same. that if, if it's Spider-Man, it's somebody else. <laughs> yeah, I know that. I know that if it's if it's Captain Marvel, it's somebody else. Yep. Uh, so many of them. If it's Thor, it's still Thor. That's and if true. it's Loki, it's still Loki. Well, 
We got our last story, which is another reboot that's in the works. This is one, a news item that broke the day that we're recording this, which we, again, is, is the Monday. Uh, and that's that there's going to be a reboot of the science fiction series, Babylon five and Babylon five was an interesting series for one thing from the very beginning, it was conceived as a five season show that each season would coincide with a year or like a year's worth of time for the crew of this spaceship. And that at the end of those five years, the story would be over so that it wasn't designed to be this kind of ongoing series that trudges on and on. And then eventually peters out. It gave an opportunity to create a beginning, middle and end for the series, which is not common here in the U S the, the article on deadline says that they ran for five seasons and 110 additional episodes. Yeah. Yeah. It actually so they didn't did stick to it. Of, no. So the plan was like it was going to be five, five and done. But, you know, when something has got a following, studios really like it when something can continue to potentially bring them money and they hate like not making money. <laughs> Supernatural, like I'm sure Supernatural would still be going to this day if it weren't for the fact that everyone was just exhausted. <laughs> Well, I mean, it had a beginning, middle and end. They had the writer had an end point. He says the story is over at this point. And then the studio is like, no, it's not. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> um, no, we can kill the Winchesters like at least 12 more times. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they learn from comic books. Uh, were you ever a fan of the original Babylon 5? I was not. I don't think I've ever watched an episode of Babylon 5 all the way through. Uh, but then I was also like, like. I was kind of a Star Trek Next Generation fan. Mm -hmm. And then after a while, I kind of fell off science fiction for a bit. So this might have been right around the time where I was kind of migrating away from science fiction and fantasy. And then eventually I came back around to it. But I think this was right around the time where I was starting to lose interest. Yeah, like I've seen some episodes. I probably watched more Babylon 5 than I recall, but it was kind of like filler for when there wasn't Star Trek. Star Trek was definitely my space opera of choice. Um, but that being said, uh, they're coming back with the original creator, Straczynski. So, mm. you know, I, I have friends who absolutely love it. One of them says you have to get through the first two seasons to absolutely love it, which is a big commitment. <laughs> um, I, I would say the same thing is true for Star Trek The Next Generation, though. Yes, or at least the first yes. season and a half. Yeah. Maybe have someone cherry pick the good episodes for you. Yeah, it won't take long. <laughs> no, no. Uh, but that being said, I will definitely give the new one a try because I still do like space operas. So, yeah, so um, that that's it for our news. It was a lot. Obviously, we had so much that we we could not do a full discussion piece. We just didn't have the time. We're going to take another break. And when we come back, we're going to be mashing up some Pokemons with some things that go bump in the night. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. 
Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Last week, we talked about Pokemon hitting an anniversary and and getting a new game. And there have been multiple times I'm like, hey, let's do a Pokemon mashup. So it finally made the cut this time. Yeah. And it's inspired also because uh, coming up on Disney Plus, getting back to streaming, we're going to get a a Muppets special of Muppets and the Haunted Mansion. You know, they've been running some promos for it, like they've shown some trailers and stuff. And so we thought we've mashed up the Muppets before, but we haven't mashed up the Haunted Mansion with something yet. Yeah, and you know, beyond the Muppets Haunted Mansion, it is a ride, and it also had a another movie which I've never watched, so that doesn't really factor into my mashup, but Eddie Murphy? Was it Eddie Murphy? Oh, for the Haunted Mansion movie? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I never watched that film. I am aware of it. I never watched that film. It's funny because uh, Haunted Mansion, just for those who don't know, Like the original idea was that it was going to have more of a storyline to it. And then uh, things were considered to be a little too intense in the original. I think it was even supposed to be a walkthrough attraction when they were first designing it. It, of Mm -hmm. course, is not walkthrough. It is you get on your your uh, doom buggy and your ghost host takes you around the the ride. Uh, They got rid of a lot of the story elements. There's still some bits of it in there, like there's the the uh, the Black Widow bride who now appears multiple times in the ride that that's a not a fairly recent, but like it was a later edition. I remember as a kid that she only appeared at the very end, really. Um, 
but like, there's not a whole, it's more like an experience, not a story. So mm-hmm. I think the haunted mansion movie was kind of a nod to the original concept of the haunted mansion experience. But I say that as someone who has never watched the movie. So I don't know for sure. I haven't either. I will probably watch the new movie if it, it continues to be made. Um, uh, all right. So do you want to go first or shall I? Uh, I can go first if you want. Sure. My, my, uh, my mashup is called ghost balls. All right, here we go. (laughs) Ash Ketchum, AKA Satoshi has a problem. He has lost his raison d'etre for he has caught them all. That was what he had to do. And then he did it. Every normal type, every water type, every grass type, even every ghost type. Yep, he had caught Yamask, Duskull, and he had even caught Poltiageist. Ash Ketchum wept, for there were no more Pokemons to conquer. That is, it wasn't until something mysterious happened. In a rarely visited corner of Pallet Town is an old mansion, long since abandoned and fallen into disrepair. But Ash hears a rumor, a rumor that the mansion might be haunted by brand new ghost Pokemon. Unable to contain himself, Ash immediately gets dressed, tossing the PJs he had been wearing for seven straight weeks into a corner. They make a crunching sound. He rushes across town, his handy Pokeball ready to go. Once he arrives at the rusty, decrepit gate that leads into the mansion, Ash takes a long look. The path to the mansion winds here and there, past crypts and a small graveyard, and this thing where if you if you push it, sometimes it plays like music and other stuff, and like there's a coin, but the coin is actually attached to the ground so you can't move the coin. Anyway, yeah, there's all this stuff there, and parked in front of the mansion is an old-fashioned horse-drawn hearse, and everything about the place screams, this place is haunted, and Ash can't wait, and he doesn't have to. As he is contemplating how he's going to get through the gate, he sees this bluish glow emanating from around the corner of the house. And around that corner comes a cloaked figure wearing a top hat and carrying sheafs of paper, which happen to have musical notation on them. And Ash goes for his trusty Pokeball, which has inside of it Lipard. Because everyone knows that ghost-type Pokemon are weak against dark-type Pokemon. I mean, what, are you kidding me? You think I don't know about the Pokemans? No. <laughs> Lipard's a dark Pokemon. Dark-type. Very good against ghost-type. So Ash tosses his Pokeball at the spectral figure, and Lipard bursts out. And what follows is a brutal example of using creatures to battle one another for your own amusement, and the spectral musician is soon bested. Of course, he was also taken by surprise, and after being knocked silly, Ash catches him. The Pokeball glows that same spectral blue color. Thus begins Ash's long battle with the ghosts of the Haunted Mansion. After that first night, where he managed to catch three ghosts, he realized that they weren't Pokemans at all. Nope, these were just plain ghosts. He could catch them, but he wouldn't be able to, you know, force them to fight in his underground dogfighting style sport. Except it's not even underground, it's like celebrated there. It is messed up. Anyway, they were collectible, and with no more Poke Critters for him to catch, they would just have to do. 
So night after night, Ash returns to the mansion. Boom, he would catch a vanishing hitchhiker. Bang, he'd grab a twirling ghost dancing a waltz. Madame Leota proved to be a bit of a challenge because she emerged from her own crystal Pokeball, but even she would join Ash's collection eventually. Months passed. A year passes. Ash sometimes would leave with as many as five ghosts, and some nights he failed to bring home a single one. It took a long time, longer even than it took him to get all the Pokedex, because there are 999 of the ding-dang things in that mansion, even though there was room for 1,000. A year after beginning his quest, he completed it. The final ghost to capture was an opera singer, but once the fat lady sang, it was all over. Ash had caught the final ghost. Even the ghost host was his. He was once again in danger of falling into a depression, having exhausted the supply of spirits, except he got a strange message. He got a message from a kid named Trevor. Seems he's putting a team together and that he too has a family history with ghostly activities. But we'll learn about that more in a sequel called Pokemon Afterlife, a Ghostbusters story. The end. That was quite delightful. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I had to throw in an extra mashup. <laughs> I no, I I think that was that was brilliant. So if your mashup was I at first I was going to say if your mashup is Excalibur mine and in fact is a sword and a stone, but it's they're different. So this is called the Haunted Manchamp. Machamp. Um <laughs> Okay. Yeah. The Haunted uh, Machamp. Yes, uh which there's actually not much Machamp in this uh, in this mashup, but I couldn't pass up on the title. So Misty needed a break. So she convinced her fellow Pokemon trainers to go on vacation with her. And where did they go? The happiest place on earth. No, not Rhyme City. They went to Disney World, pocket monsters and all. At first, when they reached the park, they split up, Misty taking her water Pokemon to Splash Mountain, Brock taking his Pokemon to the Seven Dwarves Mine Train, because, you know, he has a lot of, like, rock, metal, and wood Pokemon, and Ash being stuck on a small world over and over again with Pikachu, who Ash was certain would never now stop singing the song, Pika, Pika, Pikachu, Pika, Pika, Pikachu! Uh, but after much gallivanting around the park, they all found themselves at the same place staring at the haunted mansion. The three trainers wanted to ride, and just their luck, there was absolutely no line, but the Pokemon all refused. When the trainers tried to drag their Pokemon into the building, Psyduck popped out of his Pokeball and just stood outside the entrance, going, Psyduck, making Misty more and more frustrated than ever. But finally, after a lot of pushing and prodding, they got all of their Poke Critters into the mansion. Once they were inside... It dawned on the trainers how weird it was that there was no one else riding the ride. Also, did they even have ride operators? They couldn't recall as the voiceover, which sounded eerily familiar, started up and the pictures in the stretching room started to morph. As the pictures morphed, the group could see that they were pictures of them, not the normal denizens of the haunted mansion. This thoroughly creeped out Pikachu and he fried the portraits to a crisp. <laughs> The door opened and the team continued on because that was the only way out. As they boarded their doom buggies, ushered by an operator who they could have sworn had a couple extra arms, they heard an ominous ghostly growl. The trainers thought they recognized it as a Gengar, but the operator chopped their lap bar down and took the car took off before they could catch or check for the Pokemon. 
As they went through the haunted mansion, they kept seeing ghost Pokemon, or, or maybe just ghosts out of the corner of their eyes. And by the end, they were certain that's what they were seeing. In the big hall scene, there were tons of ghostly, ghastly Pokemon all causing a ruckus among the animatronics, and none other than Team Rocket trying to catch them all. Apparently, the ghost types had fudged up the ride workings and scared all the regular ride goers away, and Team Rocket thought this was their chance to get a leg up on the other Poke Trainers and increase their menagerie. However, when they saw Misty and Brock and Ash were trying to get on the ride, they knew they had to pretend it was all business as usual and get the three through the ride as soon as possible so they wouldn't notice something was wrong and Team Rocket could catch them all. However, Ash, Misty, and Brock were so upset that this was just another one of Team Rocket's stupid, dumb, dumb, stupid plans and not like an actual ghost mystery. So they had Pikachu, like, fry their doom buggy so it stopped. They jumped out and they battled Team Rocket for all the ghost Pokemon because they are still Poke Trainers and they had to catch the ghost Pokemon. And of course they succeeded because they're so much smarter and better than stupid Team Rocket. And then they remounted their doom buggy to leave the attraction. As they left the doom buggy, their hitchhiker ghost friends turned into the Gengar they thought they heard earlier and the animatronics in the hall scene morphed back into more creepy Pokemon to have a party. The end. I <laughs> uh, see now I have ridden the haunted mansion when it has its nightmare before Christmas overlay. Mm-hmm. I look forward to trying to ride the haunted mansion when it has its Pokemon, its Pokemon overlay overlay. I mean, especially like if the Pokemon are real and it gives you this other sense of like urgency to it, <laughs> but then Disney would shut it down just like they, they shut down the stitch ride because it was too scary. Well, they should have stuck. Shut down that that whole. I didn't like that ride when it was Alien Encounter. I wasn't a big fan of it when it was the Stitch one either. Uh, I, I felt liked like that Alien was, Encounter. Oh, uh, I felt like it was a bad fit, like a bad fit for a park that's that's heavily to geared toward kids. Yeah, but I get it. I get it. Let's say that you out there have your own thoughts of how Pokemon and Haunted Mansion would mash up. One way you could let us know about it is to email us. Seriously, email us. Our email address is lnc at iheartmedia.com. You can also reach out to us on social media, but yes, we would love your emails. But if you want to reach out to us on social media, you can do so. Twitter, we are lnc underscore podcast, and Facebook and Instagram, we are Large Nerdron Collider. We really do want to hear from you. Yes, we do want to hear from you. And make sure that if you like this show, that you share it with friends and loved ones, because uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I think that I think that's everything, Ariel. Awesome. Well, until next time, I'm Ariel uh, Evie Caston. And I'm Jonathan Doom Monkey Strickland. Nice. Large Nerdron Collider is a production of iHeartRadio and was created by Ariel Kasten. Jonathan Strickland is the executive producer. This show is produced, edited, and published by Tari Harrison. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Live Nation presents Concert Week. 
Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Do you love fashion? Do you love getting compliments on how well you're dressed? Are you always seeking the latest trends? Then we're talking to you. BostonProper.com is your fashion destination and the only place to go for all those nods, head turns, and new styles. No matter the day, season, or occasion, Boston Proper has what you're looking for. Sophisticated, confident clothing designed to flatter and get noticed. So visit BostonProper.com now and start creating your perfect wardrobe. Boston Proper. Wear it like no one else.